Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I want to continue with the session that we, we did last week. We are discussing uh, principles of Passover. It's a series called the Passover. And uh, we are looking at Israel's exodus from Egypt after 430 years. That initial Passover was celebrated. Blood on the doorposts. Angel of death came throughout all of Egypt. The firstborn of every Egyptian, both people and animals, firstborn of every kind of living thing, was struck dead, except for the firstborn of the house of Israel. Any Israelites who obeyed Moses' command to apply the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, and also to celebrate the Passover meal and eat the whole lamb in a state of preparedness or readiness with staff in hand, waist girdle, shoes on feet, though that household was immune to the judgment that came upon the entire nation. Today, judgment is coming upon the whole world. What we need to do is, God, we are saying, so much calamity is happening globally. Uh, incidents in Paris last week, the incident in Mali on Friday. Um, and there's, there's so much, it seems like every single week, Something somewhere is happening, and it seems to be escalating in intensity and regularity. We are not oblivious to the fact that God is dealing with the earth. God is dealing with the peoples of the earth. But God's people have to be preserved in a time of global judgment when God deals judgmentally with the entire earth. It was, a, it was a night of crisis in Egypt, the night that Israel came out of Egypt. But I share this with you. What was crisis for the Egyptians was release for the Israelites. Same conditions, two effects upon two different people. In Noah's day, it rained. Water flooded the earth, killed the ungodly but preserved the godly. Same medium, different results. Everybody experienced the flood, but water drowned some, but water raised the ark. So what, what, what brings others to descent raises others in ascent and preservation. You can experience the same kind of experience as everybody else, yet have a vastly different outcome and result. Amen? Now, that is where the world is headed. It seems like things in the earth are going to intensify in the degree to which calamity will parade itself globally. And I want to encourage you. Jesus said to us, when these things happen, do not lose heart. Don't become fearful. What we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, we need to locate ourselves in a culture, an environment. That culture we called the house of God. You need to be located in a house. I'm not talking about a church. I'm not talking about a specific name of a church. When I say be located in the house of God, yes, you need to be a son of God. You need to have given your life to Jesus. But you also need to be located in the arrangement of a house that has a spiritual father with spiritual sons, where there's a family to which you belong, where there's the word of God preached or the word of God released, and where you personally in that context are thoroughly compliant and obedient to the dictates of God in that house. For, listen carefully, if you were an Israelite in that night when they came up out of Egypt, and you elected not to obey any one of Moses' commands, you would have been an Israelite, but outside of immunity. Right? You had to have brought your entire life to a place of 
obedience for you to experience the protection of the Lord. There are many believers that are physically in the house, but not in the house in principle. Right? You're physically in a church, but by lifestyle you are not. Right? We want to get our lifestyles right. Obey the principles of God's word, for with obedience there will come immunity. So then, we were tracking this. This now, I think, is our 17th or 18th session on Passover. So I, I can't rehearse all that we've done. Right? What we are doing now, we're going to the New Testament, looking at how Jesus attended certain Passovers. And we are prophetically looking at the, those incidences, and we are saying, what took place in a New Testament culture where the Son of God Himself attended such feasts, Passover feasts, which was celebrated annually. Every year, Israel had to celebrate this. The Son of God observed the feast, and He would come to it, but He would say and do certain things at that time of the feast. Those sayings or doings of the Lord for me are important. Right? We've examined the first one right? Um, in John chapter 2. We came at the time of the Passover, and he fashioned a, a whip, and he drove out the money changers. And we discussed a whole lot of principles there. We started talking about the second feast that Jesus attended in John chapter 5. Okay, Now, let's just quickly read through some of the scriptures. I won't read through all of it, although we read the scripture last week, but just for the sake of our visitors, and I think it's good to reread the scriptures. John chapter 5. After these, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Although the word Passover is not mentioned here, it's implied. All biblical evidence suggests that this was not Pentecost. Neither was this the feast of tabernacles. This was the feast of the, of the Passover. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. What does Bethesda mean? Bethesda means two things. Predominant meaning is the house of mercy. right? A place, secondary meaning is a place of flowing water. House of mercy and a place of flowing water. Okay, Just hold those definitions in your mind. Then it says in verse 3, um, oh, by the way, if you go back to verse 2, it says it has five porches. When we read that with prophetic eyes from an apostolic prophetic perspective, it's not just colonnades or porches that we see. Five indicates an allusion to fivefold ministry. Right? Apostles. Remember that with the hand? Easy to remember. Apostles. Prophets. Longest finger, evangelist reaches out, right? Evangelist, teacher, uh, sorry, pastor, the wedding finger, mine is still on. This one hasn't been removed for 20 some odd years. It's actually stuck. I'm stuck. <laughs> Children, we're stuck. I can't get this thing off. I have to physically go and have it cut off. But it's been, it's, it's nailed. I think it's married to my body. <laughs> we always tease that we're married for life. So, apostles. Prophets, evangelists, the wedding finger, the care, the love, pastors, and the balance is the teacher. Okay, Five porches indicate an allusion to the presence and exposure to fivefold ministry. Fivefold ministry is given for the equipping and the building up of the body of Christ, for the edification of itself in love until it comes to the full measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. Ephesians 4. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind and lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. What, what is water a reference to? The Word of God. So here was, now listen carefully, this is a representation of a church. Because the word Bethesda means house of. 1 Timothy 3.15 indicates that the church is the household of God. So in Scripture, any Meaning of any word starting house of, prophetically, is an indication of a representation of a church. House of mercy. Right? So this was a house exposed to firefall ministry. But the sad reality is this. Check the condition of the people. Multitude. So this is a mega church. 
lot of people, right? Big. Multitude of what? Sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. This is a sick group, infirmed, right? In, in fact, the word is for, for infirmed is asthenes in the Greek, and it literally means people without strength. People without strength or unwhole, right? Something's missing. These people need healing, okay? There's grace present. There is grace present, as represented by five porches indicating fivefold ministry. But there's the inability to access the grace. There's a reliance upon an external manifestation, the stirring of the water that only happens once a, once a year by an angel, and the first person to get in is only healed and nobody else. Okay? And there's multitudes of people. So one person is healed per year. Right? You have, you have people, I'm waiting for my breakthrough. This man was sick here and he was waiting for breakthrough for 38 years. Okay? Let's read the story quickly. An angel would come down in a certain time with the pool and stir up the water. Whoever stepped in? First. Everyone say first. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring up of the water stepped in and was made well from whatever disease that he was afflicted. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him where? Verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, lest so that nothing worse comes uh, nothing worse comes upon you. Okay, I'm just going to stop there for the sake of time. Now, I shared with you last week that this story indicates various things from which we must migrate. Things that you must leave and you must migrate to a more preferred position. The Exodus represented Israel's migration from 430 years of bondage to the land of Canaan. So whenever you have the issue of Passover, Passover is always an opportunity to ask God, what must we migrate from and where must we migrate to? Okay, there's always a movement from error to accuracy. Always a movement from accuracy to greater accuracy. To exactness, to precision. A movement from limitation to, to freedom. Okay? And I shared with you a couple of things last week. First, migration should be a migration from manifestation to the word of the Lord. This man was waiting how long? Come on, talk to me. How long was he infirmed? 38 years. Waiting for this, an angel to come once a year. And he wasn't guaranteed that he would be in because whoever went in first was only healed. So he waited every year for 38 years for an external manifestation, some miraculous event for breakthrough. Jesus would come to him and say, rise, take up your bed and walk. What did he migrate from and where did he migrate to? He migrated from an external manifestation to heeding a word that was given to him. Right? Tell your neighbor your breakthrough is in the word. I shared with you last week, don't be event focused. Be principle driven. If you adopt the principles of God's word and you simply obey them, your obedience to God's word will set you free. You don't need to wait for a special conference, a special meeting. Your breakthrough is in your hand. Your breakthrough is within your own power. Set yourself free. Deliver yourself. 
How do I deliver myself? I deliver myself by simply accessing a word from God's truth. And when I obey it, I bring breakthrough. You can set yourself free financially. Simply obey the principles. You can set yourself free from any kind of uh, bondage. Bitterness. I I was doing a Skype Bible study yesterday with the guys in Canada. It's going very well, by the way. There's another four families joining us next, well, not next week, the week afterwards. That, that dynamic is growing. They're now thinking of putting some TV in a lounge because it's growing to that level. I said to the group, as we were Skyping during the study yesterday, I said to them, um, breakthrough for bitterness is not by prayer. Can't pray my hands for you and say, Lord, deliver this man from his bitterness. His bitterness cure is in his own act of forgiving the offender that caused him the bitterness. So what does the Our Father say? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Deliver us. Sorry, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Deliver us from evil. The prayer for deliverance comes after the act of forgiveness. Deliverance from evil is the natural outflow of the one who is for forgiving. So please remind, we know these things. I'm just reminding you. Remind your neighbor your deliverance is in your hand. Tell someone your breakthrough is in the word. Come on, take personal responsibility for your life. Right? Take personal responsibility for your life. If something in your life is in not accordance with God's expectations, not God's fault, it's not anybody else's fault, it's your fault. If you simply know the truth, know the principles, simply obey the word, guess what breakthrough is at? Breakthrough is at hand for you. So this man had to migrate away from manifestation to the, to the word. I want to encourage all of us. I'm so glad so many young people here. You know, young people... Right? All the young people, let me see your hands. Okay, so some illegal hands up. But in any case, we allow you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know why I'm, I'm as strong as I am in the Lord today? Because in my youth, I prioritized the Bible. It's a very simple thing. I loved God's Word from the time I can remember. 13, 14 years old. Not one single day went by without me having to open the book to read. Right? Do that With regularity, I will encourage you, you will be strong. And you will not depend upon a meeting to be blessed. The Word of God will be the source of your breakthrough. You will live in a spatial sphere of of existence called breakthrough. You won't have to wait for the next great meeting, the next great man, the next great prophet to come. Your state of life will be one of perpetual breakthrough. Amen? Tell your neighbor the Word. So Jesus was saying to this man, okay, 38 years, guy, you've been in this condition. What you need to access is a word from the word. Remember, the, uh, I shared this with you. Um, the one issue from which the one aspect of migration, it's not just from manifestation to the word. This man had to also migrate from being connected to the house to being connected to the father of the house was he in the right environment yes but there's the house of mercy five porches fivefold ministry right the context seemed right but listen carefully his personal state was not representative of the context in which he lived what was happening personally in his life you couldn't draw a comparison between his access to this rich vast resource of grace Yet, his personal condition belied the fact that he was in that location. Do you understand? Okay? And I want to encourage you, many of us, in this present season, we have access to such grace, such truth. We are privileged people. But yet, for some of us, when we look at but the state of your life and what you're exposed to, don't match up. Right? Don't match up. Right? And this guy was full of excuses. While, I like to go, this guy, 
He says, while I am coming to the pool, another one quickly jumps in before me. His greatest excuse was, I have no man. He was infirmed, he needs to be carried. I have no one to, to help me. He was full of excuses, listen carefully, to justify his personal position. Why is there this apparent uh, incongruency is the word? It's not congruence. His state is incongruent with the kind of grace that is exposed to him. Amen. You know, Paul said this. The grace of God was not bestowed upon me in vain. You know, it is possible to be exposed to grace, but for that grace to come to vanity. Vanity means vacuous, empty, void, accomplishing no fruit. Vain. Paul says, the grace of God to me was not bestowed in vain, but I worked harder than all the other apostles. Yet not me, but the grace of God that was with me. I am what I am by grace, he says. Okay? I pray to God that if God has allotted this measure of grace to you, don't come short of that grace. And don't have a quality of life that belies the grace that is afforded to us. Amen? So this man um, is in this excuse. And I shared with you extensively last week. Last week's meeting was an invasion of the Lord in our midst. I shared with you how that his first excuse was, he said, I have no have no man and while that was negative i want to read something positive into it he was literally saying i don't have a man of god i don't have a spiritual father i don't have a set man i don't have one to whom i can be accountable i don't have one who has the word of god for me to speak the word of god to me which when i obey i can experience my my breakthrough and i shared with you i think sufficiently in intense fashion last week, how that everyone needs to bring your whole life in obedience and compliance to an earthly representation of the heavenly father in your life. We call that individual a spiritual father to which you can submit your life to. That individual will speak the word of God to you. And that word is designed to get you out of your infirmity. See it that way. That word is designed to get you out of your weakness. That word is designed to bring you wholeness. Okay? And I share this with you from uh, Thamonidu's teaching that uh, we are in a city. Not so. Hebrews 12 calls the church the city of the living God. I go to Nairobi early tomorrow morning. No city in the world is safe anymore. But I'm going to a geographical city. But in my prayer, I said, I thank you that I'm not going to, ge- I'm going to a geographical city. But I'm part of the citizenry of another city. I, I am I'm a citizen of the city of the living God going to a geographical city. Amen. So we know that God will preserve us as we do his work. Amen. The Lord will preserve us. Revelation says the city has walls and gates. Not so. Please, I'm summarizing last week. It's, it's quite some detail we went into last week. Please get the CD from last week. The city has gates and walls. I suggested to you, based upon Revelation, that the city represents angels who are representative fathers on behalf of the Heavenly Father. The walls had foundations, which are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So they represent an apostolic principle. Apostles are first in the fivefold ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, God said some first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Apt, A-P-T. Apostles, prophets, teachers. In the order of ranking in God's kingdom, it's apostles, prophets, and, and teachers. But apostles are like the foundation of the entirety of the fivefold ministry. Right? In fact, the teaching we're doing in Nairobi concerns all of this. We won't go into the details here because it's stuff that leaders should be aware of. Um, So when we think of the walls, yes, apostolic foundations. But because of what apostles represent, they embrace the entirety of the fivefold. We then prophetically construe walls as apostles leading fivefold ministers. And fivefold ministers are designed to equip the body of Christ. But the gate, the entrance to the city is by this. Spiritual 
Father, which Revelation says, each gate was a pearl. Remember? Each gate was a pearl. And now the, the parable in, in the New Testament makes sense. The man who finds a pearl of great price. What does he do? He sells everything that he has to acquire this, this pearl. Okay? So the pearl represents spiritual leadership, fatherly leadership over the city of the living God. Here's the thing. For you to find entrance into what the city represents, come through the gate. Come through the gate. To ask your neighbor, do you have a man? What did this man say? I'm here for 38 years. Why? I do not have a man. Okay? A man of God with the word of God. What he's saying is, I want entrance into the city of God, but I don't have a gate. Where was he, by the way? Where was he sitting? He was sitting by the sheep gate. And did you know the sheep gate was actually the entrance to the temple? Many people come so close. You are so close. You are sitting by the entrance. But you haven't regarded the entrance. And he, in that man's context, was Jesus. The word of God made flesh with a word designed to give him breakthrough. The, yes, what I like about it. The moment he listened. Tell your neighbor, just listen, please. <laughs> you know, some of you, if I can just obey for you, I know I'll help you a great deal. Some of you, by your obedience, will cut my prayer time in half for you. <laughs> if you simply, you're right there, but you can't enter. You see, in the city, in the temple, is preservation. I like this man's migration. He left entrance to experience. Please, take that down. I hear that in my spirit as I speak. I, I'm saying to him for my heart, I said, God, I'm tired of being on the periphery and the skirting I'm on the, per the perimeter of what you want for me. I want to be in the center. I mean, who wants to be in the center? And this, I, you know, this man's placement is so inaccurate. By the sheep gate, not, not being equipped to enter what the temple represents. Now listen carefully. But there's, there's a house. Everyone say house. City is not, the temple is not the house. The temple is a greater, more corporate, wider manifestation of the house. Okay? And if you want entrance into the wider work of God, the wider doings of God in the city of Durban, I want to encourage you, observe and obey the word of God that is released through your spiritual father who stands as a gate. What do gates imply, by the way? Access. Entrance. What did Jesus do to him when he said, rise, take up your bed and walk? Jesus was saying, I, by my word, I am providing you entrance into a whole new different experience. An experience you never enjoyed up to this point. By the way, please, when you get healed, find yourself in the temple. A lot of people can heal. I like this man's migration. He left with the, where he was, the entrance, and he went, into the, he went into the temple. So he migrated into that reality. I want to encourage you, and I really want to, to stress this, brethren. Appreciate what you have. Appreciate the gate. Gate provides entrance into a realm. Amen. See your spiritual father as a pearl of great price. I know we've always referenced that to Jesus, and it's true. But also scripture must interpret. Scripture, and they, we are biblically sound when we say to find a pearl of great price is also indicative of finding one who is, can speak the word of God into your life. If you obey that word, you will find yourself in the temple. Where was the man who was lame? In Acts 3, I think. Peter and John went to pray. Where was he? By the gate called beautiful. The gateway to the temple. He too infirmed. They said to him, silver and gold have we? None. But whatever we have, we, we give to you. Rise up, take up your bed and walk. The man went walking, 
and leaping and praising God. But where did he find his feet? In the temple. But how did he get into the center from entrance to experience? How did he get there? He heeded a word by one sent from heaven to him. Amen. Come on, tell your neighbor your breakthrough is in the word. You know, if I can only bring my life to a greater expression of obedience, I will quickly find myself experiencing the benefit that obedience brings to my life. Amen? I will quickly find myself experiencing this. Now, let me, let me talk about another migration that this man had to experience. But there's the means house of mercy. And before I make my main point, I want to say this. I would, I, I would pray that this group will be some of the most loving and merciful people on the earth. Amen? When people walk through these doors, they mustn't be impressed by our singing, by our preaching, by our revelation. They must be impressed by how much we love. Amen? If we have a weakness, it must be that we love too much. Right? If we have a strength, it must be that we don't know how to stop loving. You must be the most merciful person you know. Are you judgmental? Are you always criticizing, critiquing? That's not mercy. Mercy says, I know the person's at fault. I know they, they've messed up. But mercy always overrides judgment. Whenever you think of the mercy of God, please. Psalm says that his mercy triumphs over his judgment in a court of law if the guy is found guilty what is the classic appeal to a judge may i find mercy in the eyes of the court the guy is not saying i'm innocent say yes i know i am guilty but from this point onwards in how you deal with me can i appeal to that merciful heart in you judge right so mercy doesn't say that you are innocent mercy says no i know you've messed up i know you've done wrong but mercy says I choose to apply compassion and grace in how I deal with you. What is Bethesda? A house of mercy. I pray this house will become a house of mercy. Amen. What does the Beatitude say in Matthew 6? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I would rather err on the side of being overly merciful. Okay? People say of me, I'm too merciful. Too patient with people. I would rather err on that side than to be hard and, and brusque and, 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 and uh, drawing lines clinically. Right? I know that the seeds of mercy I sow one day when I need it, guess what? God will be merciful to me. But what you sow, you will. What you sow, you will reap. Is God's mercies, are they new when? Lamentations 3. They knew every single morning. You cannot outdo the mercy of God. His mercies are fresh every single morning. You know what David said? That's why I appreciate uh, Ian's testimony. You know what David said after the Lord forgave him? From his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and his heart was turned toward the Lord his God. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to... To your, what it says, according to your great kindness, your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Isn't a bold prayer to make it. Eh? He knew God was merciful. He says, Lord, have mercy on me, but in accordance with, in keeping with your great compassion. Right? Have mercy. In another psalm, he said, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord for as long as I live. You see, a man who knows the extent to which he has been forgiven will need no worship leader to prompt his praise, to encourage him to say, thank God for his grace. When you are truly appreciative for what the Lord has done, it will be a natural outflow of gratitude. You lift your hands. You see, the Mary that broke the alabaster box of Nod that cost 11 months wages, almost an annual year's salary, she broke that perfume and she perfumed the Lord with the, with the worship, with the incense of her worship and her praise. It's because she was a prostitute to whom great mercy was 
shown. Okay? You will only understand the lavish expressions of someone's thanksgiving, praise and worship. When you truly understand the depths from which God has rescued that person. Amen? But also is true. Sometimes there is failure to offer lavish praise to our God. Perhaps because there is blindedness from which the Lord has delivered you from. We don't truly understand how deep our salvation was. And let me just say, your salvation does not have to be dramatic for it to be deep. Right? Right? I, I had an ordinary salvation experience. I wish I had a great testimony. <laughs> Mine was fairly simple, but my salvation is not less worth than his. I was just as in much trouble in my, my, my internal destiny as him. So we should all be grateful to the Lord. Amen? We should all be thankful consistently to the Lord. Tell your neighbor, be a house of mercy. Be a house of, of mercy. Amen? Beggars come to your door. Don't just turn them away. I know some of them can be a nuisance sometimes, but go out of your way to help. Give them a slice of bread if you don't have money. Be merciful. Tell them, be merciful. Apply mercy. Do you know what Onesophorus looked for Paul when Paul was in prison? The book of 2 Timothy talks about it. He hunted for Paul and Paul said, he found me and he refreshed me. You know, Paul prays for this brother. He says, may the Lord... May the household of Onesophorus find great mercy in the eyes of the Lord on that day for the things that he has done to me. Amen. What you're going to need is, is mercy. But here's the challenge I want to give to you. Bethesda was a house of mercy but failed to be a house of grace. The migration that I want to talk just briefly about is a migration from mercy to the fullness of grace. Often, Paul would say this, like he said this to Timothy when he wrote 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and to Titus. How does he start all those letters? He starts with the typical Pauline greeting, goes as follows. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It seems he only said that to special sons. Grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, Titus. Epistles like Corinthians, Thessalonians, Colossians, he would often only say, grace and peace be to you. But to these sons, he said, the threefold stranded greeting, grace, mercy, and peace. What in, and you know, 2 Timothy was his last letter. I think what Paul knew in his mind as the age closes, what my sons are going to need is not just grace and peace. They're going to need grace, mercy, and peace. Right? It was not just a nice way of saying, how's it? How are you? When he started the letter, he's saying grace, mercy, and it was a deliberate apostolic intention to impart those three dynamics to his sons. What is the difference? Just quickly. I know this can have a great theological discussion now. It can take us the whole day. But let's, in succinct form, what is the difference between grace, mercy, and, and peace? Just simply stated, grace forgives your sin. For by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians 2 verse 9. Saving grace forgives your sin. So you are a sinner, you come in, the act of God's grace absolves you from your sin. Mercy attempts to alleviate the consequences of your sin. Mercy is always focused upon the ramifications of what you've done. So in a court of law, yes, I am guilty, but now you're going to sentence me, please apply. Mercy in how you deal. Mercy says you sh now you should be judged, but I will be compassionate. So mercy is always focused upon alleviating the sufferer for the consequences of his misdeeds. Peace is the resultant effect in the person that removes guilt and condemnation. So that Paul would say, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have to have peace, not so? Imagine if we didn't have any peace. Imagine knowing that your sins are forgiven, but you're having nightmares about, am I going to hell or heaven? Right? God gives peace. He gives you settlement about those, about those issues. It seemed as though, 
there was some sin involved in this man's life. Because Jesus on healing him said, Now go and do not sin, lest something worse comes upon you. Something worse comes upon you. What this man and what everybody in Bethesda, I believe, succumbed to was an overt reliance upon the mercy of God without tapping into the empowering grace of God. Right? I believe that, part of me believes that grace is, the, ap- uh, the application of grace is mercy, or mercy is the application of grace. So let me explain it like this. So you sinned. You come to God and by His grace He forgives the sin. Not so? Grace forgives and by grace are you saved. Mercy says, although I now saved you, so I take away the consequence of death. The repercussions of your sin should be judgment and death. I take that away and I give you life. I will be gracious. I will be merciful to you. And to that, I will give you my peace. So that the guilt and the weight of the condemnation of the sin is far removed from you. But listen carefully. That is simply initial saving grace. You've got to migrate from initial saving grace to empowering grace. Grace is not simply unmerited favor. Unmerited favor is when you come into the kingdom. But once in the kingdom, that same grace that saved you is now designed to empower you to become all that God has destined for you to be. So Paul would say it like this. I am what I am by the grace of God. I work. He's not talking about a newborn baby that has just been saved. He's talking about an apostle. This is 1 Corinthians 15 he's writing. By this time he's got years of ministry experience. And now as a mature man in God, he's still saying, I am what I am by the grace of God. He's saying, I work, yet not I, but the grace. He's still referencing grace. And he's not talking about salvation. So grace has more to do with initial salvation. Grace has got to do with the Son of God receiving the very essence of which God is comprised, grace, as a means to make Him all that He is. Tell you neighbor, I am what I am, by grace. So grace makes me. Tell, you, tell someone, grace makes me. But secondly, He says, I work, yet not I. So grace doesn't just make you. Grace empowers you to do what God has called you to. To do, not so. My problem with Bethesda is this. House of mercy. Got five porches. Fivefold ministry present. Grace is present. But there's no movement from over-reliance upon the mercy of God to venturing into the empowering grace of God. For me, it's symptomatic of Christians who will forever sin knowing that God is always merciful. So we rely on mercy to forgive us and for God to be gracious in how He deals with us and the consequences of sin. But we never go from there to accessing grace that causes us to overcome that sin. So I don't go back to that sin in the first place. Be merciful. So people that sin repetitively, be merciful to me. Be merciful. But now I'm saying, yes, we'll always be gracious and be merciful. But now I'm saying, access grace. Because if you access grace, grace will empower you not to sin again. So don't live on that plane. Here's my challenge. Do you know what Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews 12 verse 1 says? Quickly. Hebrews 12. Since we are. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us do what? We must lay aside what? Every encumbrance and the sin that, dot so, that easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set be before us. Some will forever be, watch, you see there is two things. There's a weight or an encumbrance and it says, I like this, this term, and means there's two things. There's something called encumbrances and there's something called, not a sin, it's something called, everyone has that sin in your life. There's that thing that always trips you up. That thing where you're always falling. 
the writer of the book of Hebrews here is very, very specific. There's that weakness. It's not just, you see, there are some encumbrances that are not sins. But the encumbrance and the sin have both the same effect. They easily... You see, this is an athlete running a race. He has the impression of someone running with endurance. And what do you do? <laughs> I can't demonstrate it to you, but you're running the race, and someone ties a rope, entangles your leg. Oops, you go flying, right? Your, your progress in the race is impeded. Two things will trip you up. Encumbrances. Now, you might say to me, but Randolph, that's not a sin. What I'm doing cannot be classified as sin. It might not be necessarily sin. But if it's tripping you up, it's robbing you of your destiny. Right? And this, on other occasions, there is that weakness. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is appealing to the group. He's saying, let, not, let, not, let us not use the weight or the encumbrance and the sin as an excuse anymore. He's saying, let's once and for all just overcome that sin. Amen? Who's tired of being tired of falling in that same area? Over and over and over again. Say, God, I've had enough. I want to get the victory over that thing. This morning, I believe, church, there's, we're going to pray in a moment. God's going to empower you with grace. I believe, that's why Jesus said to the man, Guy, what you've just accessed in me, you've accessed the capacity never to fall in that sin again. Go and sin no more. Go, chap, and do not sin. Go and have an overcoming life. Be careful that you don't come back to this place, lest a worse thing come upon you. By the way, in John chapter 8, remember? The woman that was caught in the, in the act of adultery, she was brought before everybody. All the Pharisees and the religious leaders accused her. They threw her before Jesus and they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, according to the law of Moses, such a one must be stoned to death. But what do you say? The Bible says this, they said, to trap him. And two, to test him. He didn't answer them with his finger. He stooped down and he wrote something in the ground. We don't know what the Son of God wrote. He got up and he said to all of them, Whoever of you is without sin, let him cast the, the first stone. All their hearts were pricked because they all knew that they were equally sinners as this woman was. The Bible says from the least to the greatest, everyone he left. Who was left only was Jesus with the Woman, and he says to her, woman, where are those that accuse you? Then he says, a marvelous, he says, neither do I condemn you. By the way, could he have condemned her? By his own words, who was the only one there without sin? He was the only one there without sin. By, by his own words, he had authority to act. But you see, when judgment should have been meted out, mercy overrides judgment. According to the law, she had to be judged. If this was living in Moses' day, this woman was dead for sure. But Jesus, a representation of mercy, says, You should have been judged, but he says, Neither do I condemn you. So listen carefully. Mercy was expressed. But by virtue of word, everyone say word. How do you receive grace, by the way? Through the word. Grace flows through the word. And I believe in his discourse with her, he's delivering word to her. That's why he, he's not putting an unrealistic expectation upon her when he says, now go and sin no more. He says to the same woman, John 11, just quickly. He said to the same woman, go and sin no more. He's not putting, even on the man when he says, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing comes upon you. Jesus is not putting an un. 811. He's not putting an unrealistic expectation on the woman. What he is saying, woman, you've gone beyond mercy now. Now you can access grace, and grace will cause you to live an overcoming life. Amen. Who's tired of yo yo? Up, down, up, down. Who wants a sameness? I want to live a sameness. I want to have a sameness about what I want to live an overcoming life. You need the grace of God. For that. Amen. The grace of God. And I, I encourage the church. The apostolic is about the grace of God. Not so. We have so much grace going for us. So much available to us. I pray that we will all be recipients of this grace. Internalize it. Walk out of these doors. From Monday to Saturday.
live an overcoming life in your workplace, in your interactions with people on the work front, with your family. Be successful. Experience the blessing of God. Amen. I believe there's great favor um, for all of us in this. Who's ready for this? You know, we have to be an overcoming house. But there's there was a house of mercy. But you see, it was also called a house of flowing water. But the water did not flow. The Bible says there was a pool. And a pool does not have flowing water in that context. In other words, they belied the definition. Instead of being a house of flowing revelation, the water stopped. It was stagnant. They were living on yesterday's revelation. There wasn't this flow of access to the word of the Lord. Now, can I encourage the whole house? I listened to almost 16 sessions of Passover in the past two weeks or so at home because I was editing all the sermons. And I become, just by listening, I know I was preaching, but God was speaking to me. And just by listening to the word again, I felt like a river washing over my soul. You know what I realized? One listening is not enough. One hearing of what we preach is insufficient. That's why we have CDs at the back there. And we charge a minimal. Each CD is about 10 sermons on. It's very essential for you to take a CD. The greatest investment you can make presently is an MP3 player in your spiritual life. Make sure you access it. I was so blessed by my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law's first priority, we set up in Ray's room, etc. Nice. So everything was there, all things in reachable, everything she needs. She says, oh, but where's the MP3 player? I said, Ma, what do you need that for? She said, I have to listen to the word. So that's a priority for us. I said, I can't not sit here and have everything else, but I don't have the sound of word in my ear. I want to encourage you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. There's two hearings. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And I pray that even though you're part of a house, that you haven't come to a pool, but that you are positioning your ear uh, and that you are the recipient of flowing, flowing water, bountiful uh, flowing water. Can I make another recommendation that you migrate from? Okay, we've got 10 minutes. Migrate away from people that support your inaccuracy. Where was this man? Who was this man's friends? The blind man next to me. Uh, my other good friend is the layman here. Uh, other friend, they got a back pain, also fought me for 38 years. Right? His whole context, he was in the culture of people as infirmed, if not greatly, more greatly than, than he was. And I believe, you know, the Bible says he found himself in the temple. This man's whole circle of associations changed overnight. You will never rise to more than what your friends represent. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me the caliber of people that you intimately associate with for most part of your time, and I will give you in 10 years where you will be. You will never amount to more than the influence of your immediate peers. That is true in life, it's true biblically, it's true secularly, it's a true principle. I want to encourage you, if you want to rise higher, find friends that are higher than you, that will pull you up. I always say everyone should have at least three kinds of associations. You should always have someone beneath you, always have someone alongside you, always have someone above you. Always have a peer, contemporary, someone more or less at the same stage of development as you, someone next to you walking with, you growing with. But always in whatever stage of growth you are in, always look down to reach and pick somebody up to where whatever level. Because there's always someone below you. There's always someone less advantaged or more disadvantaged than what you are. But always have someone above you. Always someone to whom you can look to as a standard, to whom you can reach up to. Not so? Amen? So Timothy had Paul. Okay? Timothy had Titus next to him. But Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, the things I have said to you, 
you commit down to faithful men that will be able to teach others also. You've always got to be pouring out to others below you. But you've always got to be receiving and filling from someone above you as you walk with others alongside you in God. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Some of us need to leave some infirm people. Always be compassionate. You will always mix with them. I'm not saying don't mix with, with people that are less than you. No, you have to. But if they're the predominant influence of your life, that realm you need to my, migrate from. Amen? We need to migrate from. Now, I will start, just mention something, but we'll prosecute it more thoroughly next week. Give us this day our daily bread. When you say that in the Lord's Prayer, that does not mean a prayer for daily provision. Many people construe it like that, but if you examine the Greek text, it is not ordinary bread that is being asked for. Daily bread is the Greek phrase epiousios, and it literally means, what does, what does bread do to you? Sustains you. What is the word of God likened unto? Bread, not so? Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Epiousios literally means, give me grace in the form of bread or word that comes from another realm, that comes from out of my, my earthly experience. Let me access that. Give me that, that daily bread. That daily bread you have to access literally daily. Otherwise, you'll be in a place called a, a river of flowing water, which there's the means, but you have a pool of stagnant water that you're trying to wait for some angel to stir up at least once a year for you to get your breakthrough. I, I cannot stress the importance enough of everyone in this house daily, routinely. Make it a habit if you have to of accessing the word of God. You cannot abide by a pool. You have to live in a flowing stream. You have to have daily bread. Grace that comes in the form of the word, from the realm of the eternal, that is designed to equip you with all that you need to be successful in God. For me, one of the greatest principles we heard today, God is saying to us, I need to move beyond mercy. I need to access a grace that, causes me, that can cause me to overcome the sin for which I seek mercy from God. I need to live an overcoming life. Amen? I mean, we'll always need the mercy of God, not so? I'm not discounting mercy. Every day we will always need God's mercy. But I'm saying it must not be your, your greatest dependence when there's sufficient grace to overcome the thing in the area in which you always fall, for which you cry unto God for mercy. Okay? There is, there is a grace component. You know, I'm now at a place of forensic inquiry. For my own life. I'm being an analysis. Thank God. Knowing all that I know. Having heard all that I've heard. In several apostolic schools. Why is there. A disconnect in some areas of my life. Between the grace I'm exposed to. And versus the state of my life. In certain respects. And you know what. I will not be like this man. I haven't mentioned it. But one of the migrations. That he make. He has to make. He has to move away from excuses. Because he said, I have no man while I am coming. And you know what while I am coming means? He was subtly envious of others who are enjoying breakthrough. Leave that. Don't look at others that are experiencing breakthrough and you sit there with, with, a, with an accusative spirit. You're saying, but why are others? Nothing's happening for us. So why observe the principles? The buck stops here. Tell your neighbor the buck stops here. I'm saying to Randolph, Randolph, you are personally accountable. No more excuses. Right? If you are not experiencing breakthrough in some measure, it's certainly not God's fault. It's not God's people's fault. Don't even look at others and say, while I am still coming. 
You know, some people are forever coming, never arriving. While I am still coming, others are jumping in. I am saying, Lord, I will never use that phrase again while I'm still coming. I'm saying, God, I want to arrive. Tell your neighbor, arrive. Arrive. I'm saying, God, I, I, I take, I will not use any excuse anymore. I will take personal responsibility for the state of my life. I will not point a finger to no but, no but, no but, no but, no, no. I take personal responsibility. And let me just say, for some of you, your greatest breakthrough will start when you do that. Take personal responsibility for where you are in reference to your state. Amen? Breakthrough is at hand. As I'm, I was telling you, I'm doing a forensic inquiry of my own life. I'm saying, God, I'm taking you at your word. Come hell or high water, I will obey you to the hills. Amen? I will experience the grace of God that you bring to me so I can overcome any limitation. Leave the weight and the sin that easily entangles you and run the race with, with patience that is set out before you. Amen? Let's, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. You can be by the entrance, but not in the experience. You are right there. And you know, I, I thank God for all of us in this house. So I think we are a great family. I think God has put together a wonderful group of people here. And I love you all with my entire heart. I really do. And I only want the best for every single one of us. And I declare to you, I'm going to say this with every bit of authority I have in the Lord. But I think I'm led by the Spirit. I'm going to say this to all of us. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Rise from that infirmed condition, mentally. Maybe you're infirmed physically, mentally, relationally, financially. Rise, family. Rise, husband. Rise, wife. Rise, young person. Leave the place of inaccurate rest. This man was on a bed. Bed depicts rest, but it was an inaccurate rest. It was a rest that lulled him into a false sense of security. Right? There is a rest that God has for us that is far more than we've ever enjoyed up to this point. The Lord says to us, rise. Rise. If I could go row by row and call your names out personally, if we had the time, I would say that. I'm saying this generally to all of us. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. You're going to experience a grace download for areas which in the past you've relied upon mercy to excuse. You've relied upon mercy to excuse certain things. But the Lord says to you, but now in this season, I impart grace to you to overcome that area completely. Go and sin no more. You know, I like that. Go and never come back to this position again. Go and never come back to this position again, declares the Lord. Amen. Lift up your hands. Lift up your hands. Hallelujah. You know, I can sense, I can see in the spirit now, brethren. I can sense such great breakthrough for many of us. This Passover, this Passover is your exodus from any kind of infirmity. Everyone say, no more excuses. Come on, just tell three people around you before. Hey, no more excuses. No more excuses. Come on, tell a few more. No more excuses. No more excuses. No more excuses. Even if you've got 38 years with the same problem, no more excuses. Breakthrough is here. No more excuses. No more excuses. Tell your neighbor Passover. No, no more excuses. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness and for your grace. I thank you for your word. Even as you spoke to Elijah in a still small voice, we stand as a household today, Father, we lift up our hands to you because we are desperate. Let's raise our hands to him. We lift up our hands in desperation. We're not so desperate as to convince someone to do what he does not want to do because we know your heart towards us, loving Father. You are inclined to help us. You are disposed to bringing breakthrough for your son. So we lift up our hands to you. We take personal responsibility for the infirmities that many of us have. But today, we want to thank you for your mercy that has been so lavishly and abundantly displayed in our lives. Where would we be if it were not for your mercy? Your word says we were aliens 
outside of the commonwealth of Israel. But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith He loved us, You have reconciled us back to Yourself. For this, Father, we are indeed extremely grateful. But now, loving Father, I pray, we pray, that Your grace will empower us to live an overcoming life. May we never come back to the place of weakness, of sin, of failing, of falling, for which we consistently cry unto you, be merciful. Father, today, today, loving Father, I pray for this household, for every single one of us, infuse us with such a grace deposit because of the word that we have heard. And this grace will cause us to overcome in great measure. I thank you. We prophetically, we rise, we take up our bed, and we walk away from entrance, and we want to walk into the experience of all of your promises concerning us. We are tired of being at the threshold, looking at things, but not experiencing them. We ask even now that we will be privy and recipients of all of your good pleasure concerning us. I declare our infirm days are over. I prophesy over this house, your infirmity, your weakness, the thing that you rely upon, the bed, you will discard. Take up your bed and don't rely upon that anymore. Take up your bed and walk, Son of God, declares your Father. Walk into the fullness of your destiny. No more infirmity, declares the Lord. Your house of mercy will now become a house of grace. Two, not just a house of mercy, a house of flowing water, a house of flowing word, of rivers of grace. That will now characterize your life. So we thank you loving father. For this breakthrough. In Jesus name. Amen.